It is great to see you all here in person, folks online. I'm glad you're with us too. We are studying through the book of Exodus, and we have made it to chapter 7, to the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues. Yes, it's where God reaches out his mighty hand and he strikes the Egyptians with signs and wonders so that Pharaoh will let his people go. It is super famous and it is kind of strange. It's this weird back and forth almost game where God strikes the Egyptians and then Pharaoh's like, okay, go, go, wait, 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 no, no, you can't go, we need you as slaves. And it goes back and forth. So we have the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues, right? You've got um, river of blood and then frogs. We've got the gnats, flies, um, plague on the livestock. And then after the plague on the livestock, there's a lot of them. I got to look here. Um, boils, hail, locust. Uh, there's darkness and then death of the firstborn. I mean, this is big doings in the Bible. It really is. So why these plagues? Well, the uh, death of the firstborn, that one's a little easier to understand because back in chapter 4, God said, um, Yahweh said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you and uh, given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. And you know, it kind of seems like justice for all the little baby Israelite boys that Pharaoh killed, that had, he had thrown into the Nile. But the other plagues, they seem super random to us. They're not. It helps to remember what triggered the plagues, what started this all. The plagues, the 10 plagues, are an answer to a question. If, you go, if we go back to chapter 5, it's, it says there, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh? That I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. I will not let Israel go. Yeah, the 10 plagues are an answer to the question, who is Yahweh? They're, they're answering who is, what, what is his name, his, his character, his purpose. I love the way that the guys at the Bible Project talk about this. They talk about how the 10 plagues are God's way of saying, let me introduce myself. The, the 10 plagues are like, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? And God, he gets this. About halfway through the plagues in chapter 9, God says to Pharaoh, hey, buddy, I didn't have to do it this way. I could have gone all Thanos on you and just snapped my fingers, and you could have all just disappeared. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The, the plagues are God introducing himself to the entire world. His name, 
his character, his purpose. So, for today, we're going to let the plagues teach us about who God is. And there is so much. We've seen this before, that there is just too much in Exodus. There's so much about who God is, what he's about, what he's doing, that we totally see that. And so I would encourage you on your own to read the 10 plagues. It's chapter 7 through 11 in Exodus. Read it on your own. For us today, we're going to focus in in the 10 plagues on how God deals with evil. Because you can learn a lot about a person by how they react to evil. And God, he has a pretty unique relationship with evil and justice. What we're going to see from the 10 plagues is that God, he actually uses our evil for good. He's that good. And evil, it rips this world apart, but God holds creation together. He, because he holds it at creation together, he can give us new life. He can recreate us. So, grab a Bible. We're in Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 7. It's on page 42 in the Bibles we have here at home. Grab your Bible. Um, Let me pray, and then we'll get into it. So, God, I welcome you here even more. Holy Spirit, come. Oh, come. God, we need to know you because you are what's most important. There's nothing more than knowing you. So, today I ask for that that we can see you more clearly, we can understand what you are doing in our lives, what you are inviting us into, and that through experiencing you even more today, you will change us, you will make us more like Jesus, you will give us incredible new life. In your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so again, we're starting in chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 2. God is talking to Moses. You are to say everything I commanded you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites, Israelites out of it. Okay, then now let's jump down to verse 17, or excuse me, verse 14, down in verse 14. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile. And take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what Yahweh says. By this you will know that I am Yahweh. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. 
Okay, so this is how it starts. And this pattern develops of God, he strikes the Egyptians and Pharaoh, he almost lets them go, but no, he doesn't. So then it repeats and it goes over and over. Okay, so how now are we feeling about the 10 plagues? How are you feeling about the 10 plagues? Some of us are like, yeah, go God. I love it when God, he takes down the bad guys and there's justice. Others of us, we're a little bothered by the 10 plagues. I mean, this is why organized religion is so hard for me. You know, you, you got this God, he's so mean, he's striking unbelievers, it seems so unfair. Both those responses are understandable. Superficial, but understandable. We want justice, we want fairness. And I love the way that the Apostle Paul, early follower of Jesus, church planter, he addressed this this way in Romans 9. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all! Exclamation point. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Okay, there is a lot in there to unpack, but let's start simple, okay? Very simple. God has two tracks, two tracks that he follows in which he reveals his name, his character, his purpose to us. With the Israelites, with us, he often uses the mercy track hard. You know, I'm old enough that I can look back and I can see this in my own life, right? Back when I was in college, uh, God, as it talks about in Romans 1, he, he turned me over. He let me go into my sexual impurity. He let me go into that. And, and he let me have what I wanted. But the pain, the consequences of that, it eventually turned me back to God. Maybe you've seen some of this in your own life. Maybe some of us even now we're hardening our hearts, and God is letting us go into that. He's letting us go into the greed and the pride and the lust. He, he, he's letting us, you know, go into the drinking and the drugs, the gambling, the shopping, the porn, whatever it is. Will, and then we feel the weight of that, the pain of that. Will we let that feeling of the pain, the consequences of that, will we let, us, will we let that turn us back to God? Now, I need to take a minute um, before we move on, and we need to have like a free will interlude brought to you by God. Free will, okay? It's a big deal. Um, and some of us, we look at this, and actually it does say in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we think, ooh, that seems unfair. Well, that troubles us. But if you look closely at the 10 plagues, five of those plagues happen and after each of them, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's not till the second five, the group of five, that it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The Bible is making perfectly clear that Pharaoh hardened his heart first. And then God, he takes advantage of that hard heart, that evil, so to speak, to do good. If you actually think more about it, 
what happened to Pharaoh is pretty much the same thing that happened to Judas. Remember Judas, Jesus' good friend? Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Judas had hardened his heart beyond, beyond turning back. And so Jesus took advantage of that evil to advance his plan to save us. But Judas never lost his free will. He's, he's still completely responsible for what he did. What's important here is that we don't look, lose sight of who God is in the midst of this. That God is always good and just and fair. So if this hard, hard, this hard heart thing is making it hard for you to see how God is good, find me later. We'll, let's talk about this, okay? But for now, we need to move on. There's another way that God, he uses evil for good. He proclaims his name in the face of evil, and that's through decreation. Decreation. Yeah, remember how we talked about how the plagues seem super random to us, but they're not? It's not like God just grabbed a hold of the um, you know, plague slot machine and pulled that handle down, whoo, and up came these random plagues. No, there is an intricate design behind the plagues. It is all by design. I mean, to start out, the 10 plagues are in this pattern. It's a three plus three plus three plus one pattern that the plagues are laid out in. And we see how they, they work together. Like the first plague in each triad is always in the morning. And the second plague is at Pharaoh's house. And the third plague always comes with no warning. And then within each triad, there are things that unite the plagues. Like the third group of plagues is always the worst. It's the worst locust, the worst hail you've ever seen. And then all throughout the plagues, as we read through the plagues, exactly seven times it says, and seven is the number of completion, the number of creation. Seven times God says, I'm doing this so that they will know the name of Yahweh. They will know my name. You know, Michael has talked about this before, how this part of the Bible, Exodus, is meditative literature. It's meant for us to go back and read and reread and memorize and meditate on it and get more and more out of it. So do that. Do that. Read Exodus. Seriously, unwrap this beautiful gift that God gave us in the story of the 10 plagues. But, we're not going to wait to do that now. There are, uh, there's one thing that I need you to see now. That in the ten plagues, the ten plagues, they are a flip. They are reversal. They are an undoing of Genesis 1 and 2, of creation. It's nature breaking down. All the plagues are natural. It's nature breaking down. It, it's, it's nature turning on itself. It's really nature reverting to the pre-creation chaos, darkness. In the 10 plagues, we see that every day of creation is somehow undone. So again, please read the 10 plagues and you will see the little details that point to decreation in the story. So for example, the frogs. The frogs are teeming over the land. Hear from the creation story? Or you look at the uh, flies, right? The flies fill the land. Well, Genesis 1 is about the land, the world being filled with life. Flies do the opposite. They decompose. The language all throughout the 10 plagues is the language of creation flipped on itself, reversed. 
So, for example, even the word for boil is the Hebrew word for snake spelled backwards. And instead of let there be light, there's let there be darkness. That's just a few examples. The whole thing is about decreation. It's this intricate design that's intended to elude to and then invert creation. Why? Why, why go through all that trouble with the plagues? I mean, there'd be so much easier ways, right, to, to, um, to, to punish the Israelites, right? To, or, excuse me, to punish the Egyptians, to set the Israelites free. Why go through all that trouble? Well, it's because God has things to teach us about his name, his character, his purpose through this decreation story. He's got things he wants to show us through that. And first off, it's, you know, that he uses evil for good. And really, it's our evil, right? Our sin is what goes against the design that, that tears at creation, that rips it apart. And what God does is he allows that to happen. He even accelerates that happening in order to show us the error of our ways. If you think about it, it's kind of like um, God gave the Israelites this beautiful new car. Imagine just a gorgeous new car. He gives them a new car, and instead of putting oil in the engine, they put in maple syrup. Now, that sounds crazy, but I love maple syrup, and so I, I kind of get it. They put this delicious maple syrup into the car. They, they're not listening to God. They're not reading the manual. In goes the maple syrup into the engine. And God, he still cares. He still wants them to see this huge mistake. So what he does is he lets them drive on. He even maybe pushes the car along a little faster. And it's painful. But good comes out of that because it accelerates the consequences of their mistake. It makes even clearer what's going on, how they've made a huge mistake. That's decreation. That's God using decreation for good. And you bet this pattern plays out in our lives. Yeah, God's using this decreation deal in our lives. We, we don't run on motor oil. We run on God. We're meant to have God at the center of our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. We, we're meant to like base our life on him, our identity on him. Well, what if we don't? Does God, does he show up and strike us with lightning or turn us into frogs to get us back on track? Probably not. Decreation. That's what he usually uses. I, I've seen this in my own life. When I was a young attorney, I was a full-blown workaholic. Whew. All I could do was work. Many of you understand this. Putting work above everything else in your life, including God, and we overwork, and as we work and work, and the months and years go by, decreation. You have family decreation. The people you love, they kind of drift away. And you have emotional decreation. The anxiety and the loneliness and the dissatisfaction sneaks in. And you even have physical decreation. 
I uh, turned green. I mean, I, my skin turned on, a, it took on a green hue because with all, all, you know, I was working all the time, I was only ever exposed to fluorescent light, no natural light, so my skin started to turn green. Maybe I was turning into a frog, but probably not. Um, any case, um, God, right? Maybe you recognize this pattern in your life, right? Maybe, maybe you, you, you can see how you've made something else first in your life. And there's some decreation going on to show you that you've made a big mistake. You're on the wrong track, the, uh, the, the sinful path. Do we see that in our lives? Well, here's another example. We're not just intended, designed to have God at the center of our lives. Another thing that we're designed to do is to forgive. Jesus taught us to forgive, to love our enemies. But what if we don't? What if we just can't let it go, right? That someone has wronged us so bad and we're still, we still think about it, even maybe we even fantasize about revenge. Well, we can expect some decreation. It's probably already happening. The, the, the bitterness that seeps in there, it causes relational decreation. And at the start, we're, we're just mad at, at the person, right, that harmed us, that did this. But then maybe that starts to transfer over to people that are like them. You know, if the, if the person that wronged us is from a particular race or ethnicity, a group, we start to see everybody in that race, that group, that way. And our bitterness starts to shift to hatred, decreation. Have you ever seen any of that? Do we have decreation flashing a warning light on the dashboard of our lives? And God, he doesn't just use this individually in our lives. He, he uses this with peoples, with nations to show them their sin. You know, if, if a group of people hoards all the resources to themselves, if they keep all the money rather than following God's path of generosity, or if a group of people sees themselves as superior and oppresses other people rather than following God's way of humility and love, you bet there'll be decreation. Social decreation, political decreation. Right now, all the division and polarization and strife in our country... Uh, we got some decreation going on. What sin is God trying to show us? We should ask him. We should get down on our knees and pray for this great country. And God doesn't just do this with us individually, with nations and peoples. He does this with all of humanity. He uses decreation to, to wake all of humanity up to our mistakes. If you think about it, the ultimate act of decreation is the cross. The cross. On the cross, right, because of our sin, our evil that goes against the design, that rips at the fabric of creation, that destroys, because of that evil, the author of life gave his life. The, the creator of the universe was uncreated in death. The king of heaven experienced hell in our place. The horror of the cross, the decreation at the cross, it is intended to wake us up to the seriousness of our sin. My sin, your sin. Okay, let's recap here. 
So what we've seen is God uses evil. He uses these two big parts of evil, hard hearts and decreations. He uses those for good. That's the kind of God Yahweh is. He is so good that he can use evil for good. But there's more. I mean, in a way, you can view the 10 plagues as this just elaborate, intricate warning to turn from our sin, the consequences of our sin. But there's also not just negative here. There's something positive here. You know, positive, like, yay, locusts, you know, hail, woo-hoo, fun. No, not, not like superficially positive. There is like a deep goodness behind the 10 plagues. Deep goodness. Let's look for that, this incredible goodness that lies behind the 10 plagues. Now, um, what we're going to see in that is this important aspect of God, his name, his character, his purpose, and that's that Yahweh holds creation together. He holds it together. It's the flip side of the 10 plagues. You know, in the 10 plagues, you get hammered, hammered with the negative. And it's like God, he is saying, he's, it's, it's like he is shouting to us with the 10 plagues, hey, my, my, my authority, my power, my law, it's not arbitrary and capricious. No, 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 no. It's natural, the things I'm asking you to do. All the plagues are natural, right? If you think about them. It, it, you know, when I ask you to obey and you disobey, the consequences of that are natural consequences, because when we disobey God, we are going against the very fabric of being, of the, of the being in the world, of our very own being. Do you see the positive in that? Well, remember what the question that the ten plagues answer is, right? The ten plagues answer the question, who is Yahweh? And the 10 plagues have the exact same answer to the question, who is Yahweh, that Moses got when he was at the burning bush. Who is Yahweh? I am that I am. That's who God is. It's his name. It's his character. It's his purpose. The decreation of the 10 plagues is God introducing himself to us as I am. And we see that he can punish us through decreation because he is holding the world together. Actually, him holding the world together, that's the mercy track. He's not letting it fall apart because of our sin. Do you see here who God really is? Do you see who he is? He's the God that's beyond time, right? He's dependent on nothing. He is the source of all power and being. He is being itself. Let that sink in. God is the source of all power, all being. He is being itself. It is hard for us to get our minds around that. To, to understand that concept. And, and if that is true, I mean, then what difference does it make, right? How does it change our lives? Well, Jesus, he made this super practical when he said, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, let that sink in. Let that sink in. And we're focused on the positive. We've already looked at how apart from him, everything falls apart. We can do nothing. 
Let's not miss the positive here, that in him, with God in us, we have the great I am in us. We are connected to the source of all power, all life, all being. Of course we can bear good fruit. I mean, in him, all things are possible. Miracles are still happening today. Seriously, they are. They are. I would encourage you when you leave here, go out in the lobby and grab one of those Stories of Hope booklets. Or if you're online, go to our homepage. Right on the homepage, you can click Stories of Hope and you can read about legit miracles that God is doing today in and through his people. He is healing us. He is doing incredible things. And I will tell you what is the greatest miracle, at least in my opinion. This is what I think is the best miracle ever the resurrection. The resurrection. Jesus being raised from the dead. And not just Jesus being raised from the dead. Jesus promising each and every one of us, if we surrender to him, we can have new life now. The Holy Spirit in us, changing us, right? We, he will set us free from our slavery to sinful habits. He will come and make us more like Jesus. We can be transformed inside by the great I am. Let's get like super practical about this, okay? How, this aspect of God's name, his character, his purpose, how does this play out in our lives? What we're seeing is God, he is so good that he uses evil for good. He, he has, because he has the power to hold the world together, he has the power to take our sin and give us new life, recreation. He has the power to do that in our lives. It's it's incredible that he can do that. It's kind of like an exchange, right? Like a supernatural exchange. God, we, we take all of our junk, all of our sin, all of the mess in our lives, and we give it to God, and in exchange, God gives us his perfection, his righteousness. Wow. How about we press into that? I mean, actually, right now, let's take a look in our lives. Where is their junk? Where is there things that we're like, oh, that is not good. I don't, that is hurting me. I see, the dec- I see that there's got to be, where do we see those places in our lives? Can we surrender them to God and receive his new life? He's the God that can do that, the great I am. Like Pharaoh, many of us struggle with pride. I know I have. There's been lots of times in my life where I thought, whew, I sure am good. I should be in charge. I should be the God of my life. Pharaoh, he thought he actually was a God. Well, what if we took that pride and we gave it to Jesus? And we said, no, Jesus, you're the great I am. You should be in charge. So Jesus, I surrender my pride to you. And in exchange, give me your humility. Ah, Jesus, you know something about humility. The way you humbled yourself, became human, lived a perfect life, suffered and died on that cross. Lord, give me that kind of humility. Come, Holy Spirit, give us that. Or like Pharaoh, many of us struggle with jealousy. You know, like Pharaoh saw the Israelites multiplying and getting ahead. We see other people getting ahead. and We see all the things they've got, and we see their pictures on social media, and we're jealous. We're jealous. 
So Jesus, I give you my jealousy. And in exchange, Jesus, give me your contentment. Oh, you were totally content. You, you, Jesus, you didn't have anything, right? You were homeless. You, you had no worldly success, and yet you were totally content. I need that peace, Jesus. Let me live in your peace. Oh, what a beautiful place to live. Holy Spirit, come. Or, like Pharaoh, often we are deceived. We believe lies in this world. Pharaoh, you know, he had his magicians. He had his sorcerers telling him that their ways, the ways of the world were better than God's ways. Well, same thing today. We've got the internet, influencers. We've got cable TV, the politicians lying to us. And like Pharaoh, we are all too ready to believe the lies. So Jesus, I surrender my self-deception to you. I surrender my love of lies. And in exchange, give me your truth. Give me your guidance and your discernment. Help me to love your voice more than any other. Lord, set me free with your truth. Come Holy Spirit. And like Pharaoh, many of us get a good start. If you think about it, many times Pharaoh had a good start. A plague would happen and Pharaoh would be like, oh, I have sinned, I have sinned against Yahweh, but he was too weak to do the right thing. Lots of us, we have confessed the same sin hundreds, even thousands of times, and then we just fall right back into it. We are too weak. We're too weak. So Jesus, I surrender my weakness to you. I'm stuck, so I give you, Jesus, my stuckness. And in exchange, give me your strength. You are the great I am. You are the source of all power. Jesus, you can get me unstuck. You can bear good fruit in me. Lord, give us good fruit. Come, Lord. And like Pharaoh, many of us, we ignore the hurt around us. We are indifferent to those around us who are enslaved. Maybe we're even a little angry at them that they got themselves into this mess. The parts of the Bible that talk about caring for the poor, the orphans, uh, you know, widows, in, the immigrants, people that are different from us, we ignore those parts of the Bible. Well, Jesus, I surrender to you my indifference my superiority, even my hatred. Give me your compassion, your love. Fill me with your love, Lord. Lord, help me to see the other humans like you see them. Help me to be your hands and feet. Oh, God, come. Give us that privilege. Holy Spirit, come now and transform us. You're the God that can do, you're holding it all together so you can do this. Recreate us. So again, the 10 plagues, they show us God, his name, his character, their, their, his purpose. They introduce us to a God who's so good that he uses our evil for good. They introduce us to a God who gives us new life 
New life. He, he can transform us because he created this world and he's still holding it together today. He is the great I am. That's who God is. Let's let him do that in our lives. I tell you what, why don't you here stand up with me? Um, folks online, we're moving into what we call ministry time. This is a time where we let God be God. We listen to him and we let him change us. So let's move into that now. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I, I invite you here even more. And God, I, I think we need to ask you for the things that we need in our lives. I think far too often we, we lack what we need because we don't ask. We don't humble ourselves and come to you and ask. So God, right now, I ask that you, you would help us to ask you for two things. Two things. First, Lord, Show us the places that we have made a mistake, where we are off track. And maybe you're showing us that with your great mercy, but you also could be showing us that with decreation, with the consequences that we are experiencing of our sin. Lord, I pray that you show us individually the places in our lives where there is a weight of sin where things are falling apart from the way you meant them to be, and that that would turn us back to you even right now. Lord, help us to, to confess that, to just agree with you and to repent. And God, I know that you love us so much. Confession and repentance for you, it's not something where you're hammering us and you, you know, we need to feel all guilty like, oh, I'm such a war. No, God, confession for us is to see Jesus with his arms well open wide and the smile on his face and to feel his love embrace us. So God, I pray for that right now. We all have our sins of choice that eat away at our lives, at our souls. Help us to confess those and run into your arms, into your arms of new life. And God, we, we have that too. We have that going on in our country. I pray that we'll be able to, again, confess our sins, our collective sins, and turn to you. Lord, we have that even in our church. Coming out of the pandemic, we are experiencing decreation. Help us to see where this decreation points to places where we didn't put you first. We put what we wanted first. Lord, help us as a community to confess, to repent, and to run into your loving arms. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the second thing, God, I think we should ask for new life. You, you, are so, you, you, you insist on the fact that you are the great I am. You are the one that can give us new life. You have that power beyond understanding. And so maybe, Lord, maybe we don't have a relationship with you. We don't even really know you right now. Let us tell you that we want in. Give us the strength to do that. Maybe in our lives, our lives are dry and we're not really experiencing the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. God, help us right now to ask for that. Fill us. Or maybe, Lord, there are places in our lives where there is junk and we need to surrender that junk to you and in exchange, receive your goodness and your life. Wherever we're at in that, wherever we need change and transformation, Lord, come to that place now with your power and give us that. It's the power that lies behind the plagues. 
Jesus, all of your miracles were like unplagues. They weren't random acts of goodness. They were setting the world right. Come and do that now, Lord. Set our lives right. Come, God. You know, I, I would like to invite the ministry team to come forward. And they're going to lead us in some more worship. And if you want to ask God for these things that I'm talking about, it can be really helpful to have someone pray for you. Maybe there's a part in your life where you do see things falling apart and you need to confess that. And having someone pray for you would help, that, help really help with that. You need to hear them say, because of the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven. Come forward and pray for someone. Or maybe there's a place where you want this new life. Maybe you want to start a relationship with Jesus. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to feel this exchange of him taking the junk out of your life and pouring goodness. Let someone pray for you. As they lead us in more worship now, I'm just going to encourage you to slow down and listen to what God has for you. He is so good and he loves you so much. Thanks for coming to the Vineyard.